you know, making the paintings from the stills, you know, I had something that I was responding to, you know, I had an image, you know, in, in some ways, it was still like how I had always been working, you know, I had a, a reference point, whereas, you know, working more physically with the paint and canvas, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have like an image I was responding to. And in some ways, it was scary. But also, it was maybe more free in the sense that, you know, I was just in the world now of like making formal decisions or making decisions that I would hope would elicit a certain sensation versus like, you know, how well can I like describe what I'm looking at? It's how can I, you know, communicate this material? Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 277th episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Jonathan Virginia Green, who I caught up with currently completing his MFA thesis exhibition from the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. So very excited to feature him on the podcast. We, of course, talk a bit about his background growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, some early influences and artistic endeavors, exploring a narrative in the work as well as illustration, how that eventually led to an interest in figurative-based paintings. We talk a bit about the influence of queer culture, fetish objects, and BDSM, how that shows up in the work through a series of video and more object-like paintings in the most recent work that have all sorts of different materials that are very physical and really kind of enticing. So, of course, we preview that coming up. His MFA thesis exhibition is entitled There Are Ghosts in the Machine that runs April 4th through 10th, and the reception is April 8th at 7 p.m. That's at Likewise Community there in Fayetteville, so be sure to check that out if you're in the area. You can check out his work at jonathanvirginiagreen.com. There's plenty of it there. You can also find it on Instagram. Be sure to follow him there at jonathanvirginiagreen. And, of course, I do want to just acknowledge that Jonathan was selected as one of our 2021 MFA Studio Break Student Competition winners by our juror Kendra Balgren of James May Gallery. So we're super excited to feature Jonathan on this episode. Once again, you can check out more episodes of Studio Break on studiobreak.com. Each of our posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites. You can listen right there on Studio Break or subscribe to the podcast. So check that out. You can also say hello in social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. With those announcements out of the way, here's our interview with Jonathan Virginia Green. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Jonathan Virginia Green. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so nice to have you on. I know we've been chit-chatting for a while, but it'll be great to kind of break down your work. I always note, again, you're one of our 2021 Studio Break student competition winners, selected by Kendra Balgren from James May Gallery. So, But again, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's dive into your background a little bit. So are you from the, the Midwest and in, um, in Arkansas? Like, is that your origin point, if you will? I'm currently in Arkansas studying for my MFA in studio art with an emphasis in painting. But mm -hmm. actually, I was born in Alexandria, Virginia in 1989, a magical, magical year. <laughs> but when I was about three or four, uh, my family relocated to Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And that's pretty much where I've lived most of my life. I went to elementary school through high school and would actually go on to receive my BFA at the University of Tulsa. Sweet. And then we're catching up with you now. So, you know, I'm especially kind of curious, were you someone that was always kind of making things? Yeah. I mean, I can remember making art, you know, as early as I can remember having memories, Mm -hmm. lots of drawing, coloring, but really I enjoyed um, making stories. So I would write a story and then illustrate that story. So pretty young, like making art and its connection to storytelling. It's like in me, but it would pretty crude materials, you know, whatever pieces of paper I could staple together. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember back in the day, those like that old printer paper that was like continuous with the reamed, like the perforated edge with like Mm -hmm. the holes, like, Oh, that stuff was like magic to me. Cause you could just keep going and going and going. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's yeah. That's dating us. Right. It's like these really old school printers, you know? Yeah. So again, storytelling, was that something that like your family was kind of into in terms of like, you know, encouraging you or kind of talking to you about that. I I know that for whatever reason, like I had like a tutor and we basically tried to move on from like math, which I was terrible at so that I could work on like stories, oddly enough. So I'm kind of right there with you in terms of getting into that growing up. Yeah. I, I had some like pretty contradictory influences in my family. Mm -hmm. So, um, my grandmother, you know, she was an avid reader She was educated and worked as a nurse and she was actually like pretty into art. Mm -hmm. Whereas my dad, since before I was born, he was like in a rock band. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I grew up, you know, with my dad, you know, rocking out in his band with his friends, like playing the hits of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) 90s. So, yeah, like. Bush, Live, Tool, Guns N' Roses, Alice in Chains. Like, <laughs> right on. <laughs> just a lot of, lot of rock and roll. But certainly, like, making a story with images would be, like, a way that I could, you know, entertain my family. Mm-hmm. But it would also maybe get me into trouble sometimes. You know, I recently had to do some writing exercises, you know, thinking about some of these early memories. And I remembered this uh, story that I made where it was about like a goblin that Mm -hmm. was hiding in my closet and I had to kill it with a hammer. And then it was just page after page of like, (laughs) like, you know, crayon, but like just blood everywhere. I think I made that in the second grade and my teacher was a little concerned. Sure, sure. I would imagine, you know. Yeah, I'm glad that I remembered that because I think not just storytelling, but like, you know, using art to like play with transgression Mm -hmm. is something that's still in me. (laughs) Well, and so to kind of think about it, you know, relative to like, you know, where you're at in Tulsa, I think you said, you know, was kind of like being exposed to art, something that was was there or was it all kind of like something that came later? I had exposure, but it, it was very limited so Tulsa is like a very segregated city. 
There is literally a highway that racially segregates the city. And then I grew up on a poor side of town, which was on the west side of a river that runs through the city. Mm -hmm. So growing up, my grandmother would take me to Gilcrease Museum, which is a museum of American art, really like Western art, like Mm -hmm. cowboys, like Charles Russell kind of flavored stuff and then um, indigenous art and artifacts is that something though that is you're like kind of like getting older you're like this is something that i could like do you know because like again i have so many students that are like into animation and you know thinking about character design and stories it's just interesting to like when you're when you're thinking about back at the time like is this something that i can do can i get paid for this my experience was actually very confusing because i really didn't like it. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it was just because it was the thing that my grandmother liked, but I had a hard time relating to it. And so I think if anything, it, it made me, you know, want to make something that was radically not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, so were there any other kind of influences that you had, you know, in terms of like, you know, film or, you know, things like that, that, that kind of like helped shape your mind into like, I know that's a, such a big, big open question, but I, I see my own like art journey as like maybe like a little unsophisticated or kind of mm-hmm. clunky or stumbling. Um, it would probably surprise nobody who sees my work if I said that I was kind of a weird kid <laughs> growing <laughs> up and maybe a little on the outside of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so being on the outside. One way to survive that is to just kind of reject what was popular. So, you know, I wasn't a popular kid. I wasn't really in that group. So I decided I wouldn't like value the things that they valued either. So I wasn't going to listen to pop music or hip hop or play sports. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, I was going to be an art club. And, you know, a public school on the poor side of town in Oklahoma, you know, art club was kind of limited, but in that it was me and, you know, two older goth girls who I adored smoking cigarettes and like going to local openings. So other than, you know, going to the museum as a child with my grandmother, like those were some of my first experiences being like, oh, is this what artists do? They have parties Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) for their art. Okay. (laughs) So I'm assuming then you were, you know, taking like a bunch of art classes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of stuck with the art classes through middle school, through high school. And then when it came time for college, I, I wasn't really sure what to do, but I was able to, to land a scholarship at the university of Tulsa, which was a, a private liberal arts college and you know with without too much direction I'm like well I enjoy this I'm gonna keep following it Mm -hmm. and that was a very enlightening experience because you know all of my psychedelic angry sexually frustrated emo high school art Mm -hmm. (laughs) was like not gonna cut it (laughs) And like pretty quickly, like be kind of became embarrassing. (laughs) 
And I'm of course going to have to ask. So, so give us an example, maybe like, I mean, were you like, I'm curious, especially like looking at your work. Cause obviously the figure kind of shows up, you know, in terms of your more recurrent work, was that something that you were kind of interested in exploring like portraits and things like that? Pretty much all of my like art in middle school and high school was figures and that would range from like maybe a well detailed portrait of a Lord of the Rings character <laughs> sure. that I liked, um, to maybe like something totally invented, you know, like sad figure in their bedroom or sad figure in a like very imagined landscape. I, I shed a lot of that, you know, angry high school art, thankfully throughout undergrad, but the figure, um, as I got further in my studies was the, the focal point. Mm-hmm. So I was getting excited about Lucian Freud and Jenny Saville, as well as Francis Bacon and Frank Arbach, my instructor, Mark Lewis at the university, who's very talented painter. Mm-hmm. He kind of supplied me with like these heroes And without much like formal art history education or, you know, uh, training, I did have a hard time pretty early on, like in critique, you know, I didn't understand formalism at Mm -hmm. all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we would be in critique and everyone was just like in awe of like the composition or, you know, the plasticity of the you know, surface or, or something. And I felt really weird because I couldn't see what they saw. And it wasn't until, um, you know, we had a visiting artist, uh, Alan Feltis, mm-hmm. who I had a critique with and he gave a talk and his talk really was about like his influence and adoration of Baltus. Mm-hmm. And Baltus is like one of those painters where you can start making all the crazy maps on the image. I mean, they are geometrically like so complex and interesting. And when I started to see that, it kind of started to unlock what what people were experiencing and how, you know, an aesthetic experience can like give pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. And again, a lot of those painters that you mentioned, you know, you think about something like surface or texture, you know, in terms of the way that they paint or use that material that, you know, like I immediately kind of like, Oh yeah, I get, I get that, you know, and I can certainly think about that, you know, in my head anyways, maybe, you know, cause I've seen some of the more recent paintings, but think about the way that that might be kind of explored and, and kind of used. So I'd imagine, you know, you just kind of made a ton of work and slowly kind of found your way and and eventually started making stuff that you're really excited about. I got into, like I said, painting the figure and, you know, I adored those like Lucian Freud surfaces. And, you know, I think there's a quote about how he was trying to make paint flesh. And that that was like a, a concept or a narrative or a philosophy that like... I could understand. And also, you know, painting is pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. You 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 do a lot of it alone. There's there's not a lot of reason to share like resources with other painters unless maybe you're sharing a model. Mm-hmm. Um so 
inviting people to sit for me also kind of became a way to like not be so lonely all the time mm -hmm. in sure. the studio. I got pretty obsessed with like a big craggy surface painting with a knife, you know, instead of a big brush until like everything was like really shiny, really heavy. David Stern, I'm not sure if you would be are familiar with his work, but he's another artist who he just mixes pigment with uh, linseed oil and it it's very, very, very thick, mm -hmm. uh, liquidy, this liquid world. You talk about the, the loneliness, the isolation of painting. I immediately start thinking of printmakers and how happy they are, you know. They all get to like, you know, help pull my print, you know, like there's all this camaraderie. I always felt like, again, that's so weird. You got to be in your studio, like battling it out, you know, was there like anything that kind of like started shifting that, you know, I, I know that you kind of described some, you know, maybe uh, Lord of the Rings based work earlier on, but like, <laughs> were you kind of like then kind of using, you know, models as, as a means to kind of maybe. I don't know, almost kind of create narratives. Cause obviously that's something that, you know, maybe is a little playful and, and, you know, certainly shows up in, in some recent work. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. Like everything feels so obvious sometimes cause you're mm -hmm. so like down in your own like history, mm -hmm. but yeah, instead of inventing figures that, which I had been doing, um, yeah, I asked, you know, partners or friends to model for me, uh, sometimes live, sometimes in the studio, and I discovered that when you paint people, viewers quickly want to know, like, about that person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt, you know, conflicted because I enjoyed painting the body, but I wasn't really concerned with, like, painting a portrait. Right. And it, it was all about, you know, like, how does how does this paint, how does this, like, water and stone, you know, nasty material, like, you know, go through this alchemical process to make, you know, what looks like a body. And like, what is what is like the relationship between those things? Mm -hmm. So by the end of my undergrad, um, I had a body of work that was um, all these paintings of figures, um, a lot of them large scale, you know, mm -hmm. six by eight feet at the largest. And for my degree, we had to show that work outside the school. So me and another student, we pooled our money together and we rented a gallery for a month and we, we split that. And so I had my first solo show, which I still have on my CV right um, on. called <laughs> Flesh and Form. <laughs> and you feel like everything you know came together was well received and all that good stuff yeah I, I was fortunate enough to receive a lot of support and I guess I should have mentioned you know these were nude paintings of like male and female bodies and mm -hmm. my grandmother came to the show and she, <laughs> <laughs> you know I think she was uh, pretty shocked at first, but then as she realized like that there was a context for the work and that, you know, there is this world of people who, you know, value this kind of thing and sees like the art in it, uh, she came around. <laughs> well, that's cool. And I would imagine, you know, we talked about kind of having some earlier experiences where maybe 
the narratives or stories or ideas were a little bit less fleshed out? Was this something that you kind of felt like really came together cohesively? You had all these concepts and they came through in, in your work? Yeah, I, I mean, I think humans really respond to images of other humans and, you know, people in my sphere, like family members or even some friends who didn't really understand what I had been doing, studying art, mm-hmm. you, you know, could see how that would culminate and in, into something kind of singular. Yeah. And it sounds like then the, the paintings were really large and it's kind of removed from this context of the viewer kind of knowing like who this person is. It's essentially just these figures and we're kind of left to kind of interpret um, kind of like a universal level. Yeah, I love that. Like you don't have to be in on like who this person is to like get something from the work. <laughs> All right. So you've wrapped this experience. Everything's awesome. And you're making artwork and stuff like that. Did did you have a plan kind of moving forward or? I graduated in 2011 and, you know, that just seems like such a different landscape than mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's a little over a decade. So, you know, we were in a recession. Culturally, we were just so different. And I had a really hard time. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to grad school or not. I applied. I got in. I decided not to go. Mm-hmm. You know, life quickly became about, you know, how how am I going to support myself? Mm-hmm. And a couple of years down the road after undergrad, I found myself um, working at a surgical hospital and somehow weaseled my way into surgery as a sterilization technician. So all of a sudden I was surrounded by bodies all the time in like a way that I, you know, hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. You know, I would see the patient, you know, animate and conscious and being who they are. And then later I would see them, you know, on the table as this kind of project. Mm-hmm. You know, you you would see like their interiors, you know, their scopes, you know, and the camera and the monitor. And um, as part of my job, you know, I had to clean up the blood from those instruments and get them ready for the next surgery. It takes a special person for that. I feel like I'm getting queasy thinking about it. <laughs> so, but again, it has to be super fascinating. I mean, like I'm assuming this like totally changed like things that you could think about for your work or, or I don't know. Totally. It did shake up my work. In the beginning, I was very excited. You know, the tools themselves are you know, just really nice objects, you know, made from European steel. Um, I actually did a small series of paintings of like these different instruments that I would be cleaning every day. And those paintings, you know, were kind of maybe portraits of those instruments. I mean, the instrument would kind of take on a character within, within the painting. It, It never stopped being weird for me, you know, seeing people, you know, animate and then like having to deal with like their personal interiors mm-hmm. in a way like probably because I am an artist. And after about four and a half years, I did have to leave that job pretty much every year I was there. I was making less and less work. And, mm-hmm. you know, what what's kind of new and exciting in the beginning 
really just becomes a very industrial, tedious kind of job. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't listen to industrial music anymore because, <laughs> you know, all day long I was around washing machines and <laughs> autoclaves. It just really t- took the beauty out of out of those sounds for me. Mm-hmm. But the, that influence, you know, never left me. And after leaving that job, um, I was able to kind of reposition my life. So I was able to produce more work again. Mm hmm. And one of the things I immediately started doing was uh, making my own kind of anatomical drawings. I, in fact, I love collecting like illustrated anatomical texts and textbooks. So those would kind of be references for the drawings I would make. And, you know, some of that painting loneliness, you know, creeps back in. Mm-hmm. And I started asking people to sit for me again. And I would position them with like some of these texts, trying to speak to that like weird feeling I would have, especially early on in working in surgery of that. Yeah, that like outside experience of somebody and then like dealing with their their insides, you know, or like Mm -hmm. really reckoning with like the materiality of of being a body of having flesh yeah and i know it's super difficult just to kind of be in that rhythm i remember like having no studio i was working at like a tiny kitchen table so to be able to kind of get back into it and start making work is is really exciting when you start doing that what were you showing or you know then kind of thinking that i've got to like focus on this in graduate school or yeah so as i started to be able to make more work um, i was able to participate locally a little more showing here and there and you know it took time i mean it took a couple of years till i had something that i could call like a body of work and i was able to set myself up with a solo show again in 2018 and that that had been my first solo show since my you know senior thesis in 2011. Mm-hmm. But then after that, that's when I started thinking about grad school again, and all of that work paid off because I was able to use you know everything that I used in that show in my application. You know, in terms of starting that experience, then was it like super just fun to kind of be back in that environment where you're around these other artists to kind of throw out ideas to and. Again, I I start thinking about how important it is for me to be around other people. You know, maybe the pandemic even taught me that especially, but, you know, kind of getting that into a graduate school kind of environment, it's just so fun to be around so many different artists. I would imagine that was like step on the gas, you know, kind of moment in terms of like, you know, just make a bunch of work and, and get all this stuff done. I feel like I didn't really even know what grad school was supposed to be about. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that, you know, I could make a lot of work. And, you know, hopefully get a little confidence, too. And, you know, the critical engagement had been totally absent from my work. You know, I wasn't sure how to get new ideas, you know, going in the studio. And in general, just really needed like a radical change Mm -hmm. to shake things up. Yeah. And was there any like particular class that helped start that off or, you know, just hours of sitting, looking at like three pieces with, you know, like one student at a time? I think of those long crits, you know? Yeah, that was the first thing. It was like, oh, grad school is serious business. We're having, you know, hour long critiques with like one student. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. 
so I'm at the University of Arkansas, which, you know, I think is a great program. And if any of your listeners are, are thinking about grad school, I, I'd totally put them on the list of like people to check out three year program. And especially early on, they emphasize experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was because I was a little older, but I, I found it hard to just jump in and, and try something new. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the very beginning, I was kind of doing what I what I had applied for. I was painting people. I didn't really have like a lot of resources for models or, or friends to sit for me because they're all in their studios, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I moved on to still lifes. And then you know, my second semester was spring 2020. So what was around the corner was, you know, <laughs> pandemic and lockdown and not being able to go to the studio and uh, continue as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I mean, again, I feel like it happened yesterday, but then it also feels like it happened 10 years ago, you know it's just such a weird thing, you know, and that's literally what we're talking about getting our mind around that was that that obviously kind of like a, you know, huge transition, but how did, how did that affect you in terms of your studio practice? Did you have to just work remotely the entire time or? Um, Yeah, we, we went, went remote. Let's see in March. uh, We weren't able to access our studios until the following year. So you know, fall 2020 into spring 2021, um, we were able to at least go back to our studios. But yeah, all learning for the most part was remote. But early on, you know, when that first happened, it it's so shocking. You know, it still doesn't feel like real life sometimes. <laughs> sure. And everything felt so disrupted that, you know, I I, I didn't want to pretend to, you know, just keep making my art as, as usual. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't have like the will to, to paint, but I'd always loved film and video. And this seemed like an opportunity to maybe like flex a different muscle. Mm-hmm. And so I started, uh, you know, pretty crudely, but you know, whatever, we all have these cameras on our phones. Mm-hmm. We can make video art. Mm-hmm. Um, I started making, pretty performance-based kind of videos that explored concepts that like I found it very difficult to put in to a painting. So I had learned like a certain, you know, kind of painting that was rooted in observation. And, you know, that that was a big part of the concept, like looking at the thing, being present and responding to it. And if I wasn't going to make paintings anymore, then I was going to have to start thinking about how like ideas and concepts could come into the work in a way that they hadn't before. Mm -hmm. So video, you know, was a good way for me to like flex, you know, some of my visual muscle, you know, I'm, I didn't have a lot of background in video, but, you know, I do enjoy arranging the rectangle as someone who, you know, painted pictorially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like didn't really put a lot of pressure on myself to like make a perfect thing. A lot of these videos are still up on my website because I think there's something about like their directness and rawness and amateurness that gives it like a quality. Um, 
that feels appropriate. You had kind of talked about some of the work previously kind of lacking that kind of like concept behind it. Is that also something that kind of came about when you started exploring, you know, different ideas in the videos? Yeah. I mean, it didn't have to be so specific, but you know, I don't know if you remember this, but early in the pandemic, uh, there was this kind of idea that, you know, oh, we're we're all going to go into our pandemic cocoon and we're going to get hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, like people were working out and like doing beauty things and like we're going to emerge in a few weeks and we're all going to be like hotter versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, that's not what happened at all. And, you know, I, I don't think it was any time before that kind of idea lost steam, but it stayed with me. And even in those still lives, you know, I I was trying to think about how to get parts of my being in that work that I I hadn't talked about before, you know, everything was just so vaguely about the body, but I didn't really think about my, you know, identity, or other parts of like, my being or how that could all be raw material, you know, gender, sexuality, I didn't know how to like shoehorn those in a still life, but in in a video, you know, things just kind of seem to more naturally like enter the picture. No, totally. And again, it's like a different medium. So there's like this lack of preciousness when it's not like it's got to be this painting the way that I normally kind of used to doing things, if that makes sense, it sounds like. Yeah, the singular object that like contains and expresses like a singular idea, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and again, it's it's interesting because there's this one video, um, Improvement for Isolation. And again, the website is jonathanvirginiagreen.com. Again, I will totally keep mentioning that people go check out work there because there's tons of stuff to check out. But even that one is super interesting because you even talk about that idea of like, you know, kind of emerging from this cocoon and, you know, this weightlifting, kind of taking care of yourself, you know, maybe, maybe talk about that piece a little bit too. Maybe it'd just be easier for me to kind of talk about some of like my narrative thinking. Here we are, you know, in our respective homes, like trying to improve ourselves for the day that we emerge that doesn't seem to be arriving anytime soon. And, you know, grad school is is difficult and it can be pretty lonely and grad school and pandemic <laughs> is uh you know it's it's one of the hardest things i've ever done I, I can say that but i started thinking about the uh minotaur in the labyrinth and having like a sympathy for that character you know he's supposed to be a, a monster but, you know, maybe there's this other dimension to him. You know, what does he do all day <laughs> in there? And I have this fetish mask that it's it's supposed to be a dog, but it's it's so simplistic that it could be a, like an ambiguous animal reading to it. I think there's also like a painting kind of kind of playing around this idea, too, called Rubber Puppy. Is that correct? Mm hmm. Yeah, this is also, you know, I'm a textbook example of someone who goes to grad school doing one thing Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe, whoa, does it like not a U-turn, but there's like a pretty big shift Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really hard to see when you're in it. But, you know, thinking about, 
you know, how to get other things in my work instead of just talking about paint and just talking about the body, you know, um, some of these objects that were in my life, like this mask, I wasn't sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so the first thing you do is, uh, you know, paint a still life. And then kind of build on that, you know, like makes perfect sense to me in a weird way, like thinking about like exploring these themes in video and then kind of like bring them over to your, your painting practice, essentially, right? Yeah, I think the videos, you know, you you could maybe even pull something like pretty cynical. I mean, there's like a kind of attitude there <laughs> sure. that I was definitely feeling. But going into my second year of grad school, I knew like, you know, the only way I'm going to survive grad school pandemic is if I start like leaning into things that give me pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also pulling from my own life more honestly. Mm-hmm. And you know, feeling that, you know, desire and pleasure, they're equally important to other aspects of our lives. And if anything, yeah, they became kind of survival tools. So I was still painting figuratively and pictorially through making some of those experimental videos on my own. Those actually became like the seed for the painting. So I would film myself or I would film me and a partner, you know, engaging with these objects, you know, putting on a bodysuit, putting on a collar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would kind of watch those videos and, and find, you know, the moment, you know, what what's something I want to capture. And it was it was never really clear as like, oh, the screenshot becomes the painting. It, it was usually like several images like pulled from a video would then be sourced for the painting. But towards the end of my second year, I kept painting the objects really fascinated with how like, you know, putting on like the collar, you know, that's like a moment then where, you know, a person like engages a different kind of conduct. So, you know, those objects are like vehicles for a different way to exist, even if temporarily. You could paint them in a way that that renders the object to communicate that this this is shiny, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, what if I like get a little more physical with this? Like, what how how shiny can I make this glove or or this shoe? You know, how much liquid can I put on this <laughs> surface? And that became, you know pivotal because as I became attracted to like this uh, strategy, you know, I realized, okay, the paint isn't just, you know, it's not just saying this is shiny. Like it is shiny. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> There's no getting away from it. And it's like resting on the surface in a way that like, you know, it, it's so clearly paint, but it, it's like approaching, you know, the quality of the object in a way where it's just getting closer. It's getting so much closer to the thing. <laughs> well, and so again, it sounds like, you know, utilizing yourself as kind of the resource for these paintings. And then also I'm assuming then is, is something that, you know, you kind of get more attracted to the, the metaphor of, of the material. Does that make sense? Or no, I, I live in metaphor, you know, metaphor and then like creating my own weird narratives, like, you know, inform all the making because, you know, pretty quickly, you know, that interest escalated into, okay, you know, what, 
I'm not, I'm not painting like these leather shoes or, or these gloves anymore. Like what can I do with the paint that it's like even more like it's embodying this material, like even more. Mm -hmm. And so I started to think about it more structurally and moved from oil to acrylic as that's definitely more economical. Mm -hmm. Sure. I guess, when did you kind of like move away from, I guess, the, you know, depicting something in, in terms of paint towards kind of these more object-like paintings, if you will, that were kind of like, again, certainly kind of like something that you kind of get charged with from seeing the materiality of it, you know, like the, all the ones with the zippers and all these different materials. But maybe talk a little about that, that how that happened, that, how that came about. It's not linear. It's never as linear as we like try no. and make it <laughs> seem, right? You know, making the paintings from the stills, you know, I had something that I was responding to. You know, I had an image, you know, in, in some ways it was still like how I had always been working. You know, I had a, a reference point, whereas, you know, working more uh, physically with the paint and canvas, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have like an image I was responding to. And in some ways it was scary, but mm -hmm. also it was maybe more free, more free in the sense that, you know, I was just in the world now of like making formal decisions or making decisions that I would hope would elicit a certain sensation versus like, you know, how well can I like describe what I'm looking at? It's mm -hmm. how can I, you know, communicate this material? <laughs> well, and it's interesting to think about the way that you kind of, you know, try to activate the viewer in different ways. It kind of reminds me of that piece that we were talking earlier about sit, where you kind of have um, someone that might kind of come in and observe something um, like a narrative. But in this case, it kind of strikes me again with these pieces that are more materialistic. It's about that kind of surface or um, material and it's kind of more direct in a certain way, but, um, I don't know, maybe I'm out there on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think we consume images so passively and yeah, we can, you know, as well as like probably a lot of visual art. And so the sit piece kind of became a way to explore like how to disrupt some of that passive viewing and how, like, you know, how can a painting, like, extend itself, like, beyond, you know, the rectangle? What kind of experience, you know, what kind of architecture could exist around a painting? Yeah, I like that experience because then it's not just like this passive kind of experience, you know, by, you know, incorporating uh, nipple clamps and, you know, these physical things and kind of putting them in a viewer's face. I mean, again, they can kind of... Uh, participate in it differently and, and something like that is is really exciting to me about this work yeah I really um you know admire painters like currently like Danica Lundy and Jenna Gribben because of their ability to make you think about you know the experience of looking at the painting you know often the image as you start to understand what you're looking at you realize that you're inhabiting a specific person and that's one thing that that's revealed as you mm -hmm. spend time with the image is that there is a figure being reflected in, in the mirror. And then that that's a space that you're inhabiting. You're in a submissive position implied through the image and then like literally through experiencing it. <laughs> yeah. And 
obviously too, like, you know, I think you reference this in your statement about, you know, kind of, you know, pulling from like BDSM, you know, obviously, you know, fetish objects, things like that. And so again, it just becomes this kind of interesting, you know, abstraction of those things, you know, and again, the way that you kind of start making these in a lot of cases, very kind of formally tight kind of visual things and kind of dealing it with it in a way kind of, again, just removing all those narrative components in the sense of like, you know, it's a, a painting of something. It becomes this painting of like, you know, that actual object or I don't know. Again, it's just really kind of interesting to me. Is there like one that kind of came first that kind of made the most logical sense where you're like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, this is where I'm, you know, putting all my putting all my eggs in this basket for my my thesis. Yeah, sit was really, you know, it was an experiment and it led me to like keep pushing the experiment. So my whole way of working like changed. Not interested in, you know, painting an image on a surface, you know, instead like how, how can we make the canvas like a piece of leather, you know, where where how can we make paint like read as, you know, latex or rubber. And I didn't really have a lot of like people to look to. So it it's all been like a place of invention. This whole last year, I've characterized myself as like a mad scientist, you know, the studio, the studio as, you know, S&M dungeon, also as like mad scientist lab, <laughs> you know, tr- figuring out how to to make the paint communicate um, some of these materials that um, are so uh, like sensuous. It's like process driven in a different way for sure than sitting down and trying to paint something that looks like something. I would imagine like some of them, like, like in terms of like, there's a couple of them that kind of have like these kind of really like sheen like heads. And I think it's just called like rubber painting and then in parentheses, like head, is that something like where you're casting and kind of like learning new processes or, you know, how does, how does those piece come about? Yeah. So I will pour a acrylic paint onto a mirrored surface and let that dry. And you can peel that up um, in a big sheet if you're careful enough, mm-hmm. you know, kind of similar to maybe when you know, if in grade school, you might like put glue on your hand and, mm-hmm. and peel it up. And I started to see how that would conform over like a foam shape. So that's actually foam heads. And so, yeah, you get the sensation of like, you know, a profile underneath this piece of paint that isn't initially reading as a piece of paint. And you know, someone who is maybe more versed in, you know, SNM leather, what have you, you might recognize it as, you know, maybe like a vacuum bed, mm-hmm. but you could also see it as in conversation with like the history of like paint depicting fabric. <laughs> and I would imagine, you know, starting to incorporate things like zippers is also something that's kind of pulled from like these BDSM or, or fetish objects. Yeah. I mean, zippers, you know, kind of became like a different form of mark making for me as like the whole way of working changed. Mm-hmm. I'm not so interested in, you know, what the painting depicts, you know, I had been in conversation with this whole history of like, you know, the painting as a window, right? You know, you have this rectangular shape, 
that depicts us like a scene that has you know depth to it you're looking into the window and I'm not so much interested in like looking into the window I'm I'm thinking well you know what what's underneath there you know what what if instead we're looking in the window what if there's like something that could come through to our side instead of us like instead of us gazing into a space like what could come out to us what could be revealed to us yeah absolutely and that's again something that i was thinking about relative to like it becoming in that that physical space of somebody that's going to see it you know so like have you have you been showing these pieces or are they like ones that have been like in grad review or is it something that's all going to be kind of you know revealed or do you have other stuff coming up in your thesis i guess that's going to be totally new or yeah, this is um, all, you know, gearing up for the thesis. Um, I have had the opportunity to show this work a little bit. And it's pretty interesting, you know, the conversations I have with art people versus mm-hmm. people in like other communities, like, you know, queer or leather communities. So, you know, one response might see this, you know, in dialogue with the authoritarianism of minimalism or the fetishism of like modernist design. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But somebody else might be like, wow, that's hot. And I really enjoy that reaction as well. You Mm -hmm. know, I I think that's a pretty honest and valuable way to experience art. (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting to think about different audiences and different readings and, you know, certainly like while you're in academia and you know going to art shows and things like that there's maybe different readings as you're kind of describing are there any other things that maybe you know people might miss about your work i think one thing i want to communicate with my work you know is my particular experience with queerness i mean queerness is definitely not reduced to sexuality but at the same time i'm not afraid to um center sexuality in my work um, and its particularities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you know, also transgender. I see, you know, something that kind of rhymes and my experiences that is uh, mirrored and like the transformation, you know, in the work, like it's called leather painting and you see it as leather because one, I'm I'm painting it in a way that like it it starts to approach that. But also I just I told you it is, you know, believe me. (laughs) So that's the leather part. And then it's the painting part. But, you know, with the addition of objects, ready mades, so they start to come off the wall as they have these modulated surfaces, you could say that they approach sculpture. And I like that ambiguous space. It's not really clear you know, it's it's not clearly one thing. And in fact, it, it might be actively changing. <laughs> sure. Well, and again, I, I say this, you know, you're super open considering that you're literally going to be showing, you know, like what within like almost a month. Right. So, I mean, these are mm-hmm. all things that you're probably, you know, really excited about. And I'm sure there's always like little things that are shifting and changing, too, as you're, as you're looking at these and, you know, sitting in your studio and, and looking at these works and, and just thinking. So, you know, I, I'm very familiar with these objects, but I think a lot about the experiences that other people are going to have with them and how, you know, you don't necessarily readily recognize what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a space that 
you know, uh, it feels really juicy to me. So, you know, one of my colleagues, Adam Fulweiler, who you actually had on the podcast, shout mm-hmm. out to Adam. Sure. He's a great abstract painter and he talks a lot about slow looking. You know, he really wants to facilitate an experience with his paintings where, you know, through slow looking and over time, there's something revealed. And I think what I'm thinking about actually is affect, you know, and for me, affect is you look at something and you have a response, you feel something, but it's before that you can put a name to that sensation, you know, being in that space where you look at it, you feel something, but you don't readily recognize what you're looking at. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I think that totally makes sense. I mean, that's kind of like what you're looking for, I think, to kind of excite you when you see artwork, you know? You know, I think to paint and, you know, 2022 now, you know, the 21st century, there's no solid movement, right? You know, figurative painting is having a moment and now all of a sudden I'm not painting figuratively. Uh, sure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> But I think what you can do is, you know, carve out your space. And for me, carving out my space, I had to confront myself, you know, honestly, like, where's the most honest place I could work from? And for me, like, well, my desires, you know, that's that's a point of authenticity. And I trust that if I'm working from this point of authenticity, then things are going to fall in place, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's not everybody's cup of tea, like they're going to feel my integrity in the work. So maybe tell us a little bit about your, your thesis exhibition, you know, so this is coming up in, in April. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, my thesis exhibition titled, there are ghosts in the machine. That's going to open April 4th and be up till April 10th with a reception April 8th, 7 to 9 p.m. And this exhibition actually isn't taking place in a gallery. It's going to be outside the university. I have rented a space in a parking garage. Mm-hmm. It is a parking garage that belongs to a work share space, and they rent this space out for uh, photographers or other events. Um, because there's like a lot of windows. It's like very beautiful industrial kind of aesthetic. Yeah. At this point, you know, I, I feel like Jonathan is pretty good at making an object that's going to look okay on a, on a mm-hmm. white wall. <laughs> so I'm interested in, you know, other ways that these things can be activated and, you know, making another world for them. And I'm very interested in that kind of dialogue that's going to happen between that space and the work. Yeah, that, that sounds super exciting. And, you know, makes me think about again, like concrete and just kind of like an industrial kind of feel, obviously, as opposed to like a, a gallery feel. Now, are you planning on like industrial music then in terms of, uh, for the reception, I'm assuming? Um, I have been getting back into Nine Inch Nails in like a really big way recently, um, I think to get me through these last few months in the studio. Sure. Um, so who knows? Um, I do anticipate, you know, trying to pull not just from, you know, the materials that um, are inspiring the work and like the sexuality, but like, yeah, like 
thinking about, you know, this like subterranean environment and like what can happen there. Mm -hmm. You know, we can have a party, we can cruise, we can be voyeurs. The, the work will be there, but I'm suspending these things from chains. I'm looking into uh, like colored lighting, you know, really just trying to lean into like the theatricality mm -hmm. of it sure, all. Sure, sure. And also, you know, I said earlier, you know, grad school is like serious stuff, right? This is all serious. But I think your thesis show, you know, it should really be the show that you want to have, like, like literally. And I want to have a party. So it's going to be a party. <laughs> it reminds me of your story talking about that related to like, oh, you know, like, you know, hang out with people like art people could just be a party too, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, I, I, I totally get that. So what's on the horizon? I know, again, there's a lot put into uh, this thesis, but are there big plans for the future coming up? Right now I'm looking into relocating for my studio practice and I don't, I don't want to give away too many details okay. <laughs> uh, on, on relocating, but I have a solo show actually later this year in Kansas City. So I'm trying to finish one show. And before you know it, I'm going to be planning the next one. And so that show will be in uh, September of 2022. <laughs> awesome. So again, it's it sounds like nice to be able to jump from one project to the next. And, you know, it'll probably be a little bit different than you're not in the the process of completing your MFA, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been so great talking to you and, and learning about your work and, and, you know, your story, you know, if you will, it's what's always so fun about this. So again, thank you so much for, for taking the time to submit and uh, yeah, pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much to Jonathan for joining me. Please check out his website. You can find more work there jonathanvirginiagreen.com and of course you can find him on instagram be sure to say hello and follow him there at jonathanvirginiagreen that way you stay up to date with current work as well as upcoming shows like his mfa thesis exhibition there are ghosts in the machine it runs april 4th through 10th at likewise community in fayetteville arkansas the reception april 8th at 7 p.m if you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to studiobreak.com. There's a bunch of archived episodes there for your enjoyment. Once again, those posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their website so you can find out all about them. And of course, you can listen right there on studiobreak.com or click those links and subscribe to the podcast. That way, you've always got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. And of course, it makes a great studio companion. And as Jonathan mentioned, we have had a number of artists from the University of Arkansas featured on the podcast, so you can check out that episode with Adam Fulweiler, episode 235. We had Lauren Teoka for episode 231, and Sam Mack for episode 240. Just a quick note to any students out there that we will be announcing our 2022 Studio Break student competition this spring. So be sure to follow us on social media, like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to follow on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's podcast is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, and Brett Beery on bass. If you'd like to see some of Ben's paintings, follow him on Instagram. That's mbencohanstudio. And if you want to listen to some of Brett's tunes, be sure to follow him on Instagram as well. That's at Brett Beery. And you can find his link there for his albums on Bandcamp. 
If you want to check out some of my paintings, you can find them at davidlinaway.com. And of course, follow me on social media if you'd like to say hello on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at David Linaway. And once again, if you enjoyed today's episode or any recent episodes, please be sure to give us a shout out on Instagram. That's at studio underscore break. It's always great hearing from listeners. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you are crushing it in the studio and staying productive. We'll talk to you real soon.